You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. I bought a new pair of sneakers recently. It was very exciting. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, but I order stuff from Zappos and a lot of them come and then I try them on and I figure out which two I'm going to get. It's, I have about 20 of them in my house right now. That seems like a lot of work to have all, I don't know, because you have to ship them back, right? Like I just find but even- you don't pay for shipping with Zappos and I don't know if this is a commercial for Zappos and we have not gotten paid by anyone, uh, but yeah, I guess it is a lot of boxes, but it made me think about the fact that sometimes my shoe size is an 11, other times a 10 and a half, and I can probably squeeze into a 10 wide. And it made me think a lot about footprints. Like what would be your, uh, if you were to order like a, a shoe for your digital footprint, which size shoe would it be? Um, I'm going to say size 11. Now, does that, is that because you actually wear size 11 shoes or is this like you've done some like, there's some sort of measurement in terms of digital footprint? Yeah, I think my footprint is, now I do wear size 11 shoes, but I think my footprint also is 11. You know, my whole youth, I did not create a digital footprint, right? Like the internet didn't really like even the things you did on the internet in the 90s I feel like don't didn't really stick around right like AOL oh, with like Prodigy and AOL. AOL Messenger right like was a big thing right, in right. the 90s when that first came in and so I don't think it's really until um, social media you know rise of Facebook and MySpace and other things that you start to feel like this is a little bit more like people can see that and I think I've gotten all the way up to size 11 I'm guessing your footprint grows over time that doesn't seem like how feet work because eventually... I don't... Yeah, no, I, I don't really know exactly how this analogy works. Uh, I know for me, I can still go back to my Friendster days and I, and I was friends with... Was his name Tom? Yes, and Tom. So that's at least one friend that I had. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess part of the analogy that potentially works is that, you know, as your digital footprint grows, it can be difficult to go back down in size, right? And possibly oh, even, even very painful to do so. Um Maybe that doesn't totally. We did work. Have, probably have a falling out, me and Tom, when I, I stopped using Friendster. That's a Friendster reference. Was was a precursor to. I have no idea. <laughs> you, a lot of things. You know, I think when it comes to digital footprints, though, um, you know, topics like this, we need some guidance, right? We almost, you know, need to be walking along the beach, two people, and we need an educator who, you know, when you only see one set of footprints, it's my. Teacher educator. <laughs> this is terrible. This is the worst analogy. Like, we have a guest who could probably talk to us a little bit more about this. Her name is Tanya Ducey. Tanya, how are you doing? I am doing well, gentlemen. Thank you. And when I was saying that there's only one set of footprints, I was trying to imply that Tanya was carrying us in our digital footprint quest. I have one of those inspirational paintings in my head now with like the beach and the footprint. Yes. We need to make that for this episode. Can somebody put that together? You want I, a digital footprint? That. <laughs> I think that would be good. What does a digital I'm, footprint look like? Well, that depends on who you ask. I mean, I, I through, uh, through your footprint sizes, I'm, I'm curious if a size 11 digital footprint, what score would that translate to on clout? Mm. Oh God. Remember that? Right. Clout is dead. 
there's um, I think there's a few other things that have popped up. And I was reminded of brandyourself.com, a service that I have used to monitor my own digital footprint. Interesting. Why don't we back up and what, do you mind telling us a little bit more about who this Tanya Doucet person is and what is her digital footprint size? Well, the and nice thing about me, I have a very unique name, which means that my digital footprint is easy to find. So Tanya Doucet, who am I? Well, I am originally from Texas, which is another thing I have in common with Dan. Well, he's not from Texas, but he happens I love to be that. there. Yeah. Uh, so my background is actually a K-12 licensure in agricultural science from Texas A&M University in College Station. I'm a double Aggie. My master's is in agricultural education as well. I have worked for the Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service. I was an instruction designer and their first e-learning manager to bring courses online for this state agency, where I then found myself transitioning from K-12 into adult continuing education. Jumped over to Georgia to get my doctorate from the University of Georgia in learning design and technology. Continued to play in the adult ed sandbox, working with paramedics and EMTs for online training and development. And then found myself right back in the K-12 world with the makerspace explosion and constructivist learning coming back into our schools and our communities. So I'm now an assistant professor of learning sciences at the University of Idaho, where I coordinate our secondary science program. I research technology and technology integration through the Doceo Center here on campus in lovely Moscow, Idaho. So how did you get into technology? Because gosh, you have had, what a resume. I mean, uh, agriculture, <laughs> uh, paramedics, Georgia, Texas, Idaho, you've been all over. So what is technology always been a common theme for you or something you've always been interested in? It really kind of has been. My grandfather, who recently passed away, but was the reason I played with the Commodore 64 through the 80s and 90s. He was kind of a driving force behind my love of tech. He was a company man for Southern New England Telephone in New England for the better I'm, part of 30 years. I live in New England. No way. Yeah, in Massachusetts. I don't know if that's Southern that. New England. Is Southern New England Florida? I always wonder. Well, it is now for all the snowbirds. Yeah. But it really has been a lifelong thing. I actually dabbled with web design as an undergraduate, and that was what paid the bills and kept the lights on when I was in graduate school. My assistantships were managing websites for departments and offices on campuses, both masters and doc for that matter. And when Facebook came around, I, you know what, Tom just wasn't that great of a friend for me on MySpace. So I happened to have a university email address at the time and thought, what's this new book of face thing? Yeah, I'm always disturbed that how Facebook like basically evolved from like hotornot.com, um, which is a like right. awful, awful site where like people post pictures and then rate you, um, and then it became like Face Mash and Facebook. But it was all like the same kind of thing. I don't know. I recently watched The Social Network for the first time, and I felt a little dirty at the end of it um, watching that movie. But um, I think but don't you remember getting like a in college, like a freshman Facebook with like all the pictures of all the students in your in the freshman class. So we didn't get that. And that's where the name comes from. I mean, it comes. I used to collect those things. They were fun. Yeah, it, it comes from Facebook. <laughs> uh, the ones they, no, they gave out. pre Facebook, sir. Yeah, yeah. But that's where the name Facebook comes from oh, is okay. those books you get with people's faces in it. So before we get any further, too, we should mention that one of the reasons we are pleased to have Tanya here for many reasons. But one of them is that Tanya and I know each other from the social media special interest group that's part of Sight. 
site is the Society for Information Technology and Teacher Education. And so Tanya and I right now, we're actually the co-chairs of the SIG, which has an upcoming uh, conference. And so we're going to, we've got a little partnership going on, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to record some episodes um, that focus on social media issues in education and post those, especially leading up to this site conference, which is in March in Las Vegas. And so, uh, Whoa. yeah, so we're hoping that this... How do you get invited to these things? Uh, you, just have, you just have to give them your money and you can go. So many, there's a lot of issues that Tanya really delves into, I think, and you'll talk about in your instructional technology classes and in your background. Um, but we're going to start with talking about where our ridiculous intro was, which is digital footprints. Can you tell us? I think a lot of educators are, are concerned. How do we teach kids about this, especially in a way that doesn't make them dismiss us, right? So let me tell you a story. I love to tell stories. Dan knows this. Other people who know me know this. I love stories. I have actually taught not at the University of Idaho, this particular class, but at the University of Wyoming, where I was a faculty member for four years, I taught a freshman seminar, first year seminar on managing your digital footprint. And my story comes from that particular class. In one of the terms, I had a young man who provided a very unique perspective for my class. And as educators, we get excited when we have that student who brings their own experiences that transform the content. And for us, that student in this class was a football player. And his story about social media was fantastic because he did not have any public social media. He was on Snapchat. He limited who he would have access or who would have access to his snaps. But then he would also talk to his friends about other social media and just didn't see a need until he was recruited to play football in the Mountain West Conference. And they're and known that, for their social media? Well, not just Mountain West. Um, ask any football recruit, basketball recruit. When you are being recruited by a university to play sports in the Division One arena, you're going to be asked about your social media. And coaches and recruits and scouts are going to tell you to have a Twitter feed and to post about your games and your stats and your life. That totally changed like my whole class. I already taught it before. And then I get a section with this young man. And he says, well, my coach told me I had to create a Twitter account. And I was like, stop the bus. He did what? Tell me more. And it was one of those where I think about when I ask a student, do you have a social media account? Are you on Instagram? Are you on Twitter? And they tell me yes or no. If they tell me no, it's usually a privacy question or it's, I haven't had exposure. I live in a rural area and we really don't have Wi-Fi and wireless internet, so it's not a big deal. If they tell me yes, then I ask them what's on it, then they're posting silly memes or they're interacting with their friends. This was a completely different animal altogether. This was, at the time, an 18-year-old man who had had a Twitter account for less than a year and he only created it to create an image for football coaches. Interesting. My mind was blown instantly. Because I hadn't thought about it from that angle. And so he was already making really conscious decisions about an audience that he was posting for and what ways he wanted to, you know, convey himself to that audience, right? Absolutely. And it completely changed kind of the dynamics of the conversations. Because whereas the students before were like, well, I really don't think about what I post on social media, he had an absolute purpose. And he had guidelines. And now that he was enrolled at a university and in a program, 
he had to really think about what he posted because the NCAA also governs what he can share and who he can interact with on social media. So huh. a completely different layer of policy I had never considered before. Right. And that, that is interesting because student athletes are often under different types of pressures and scrutiny than, than other um, students might be. So how do you go about teaching in your classes? So a couple of the tools that I've used, uh, BYU actually has, again, I'm not paid by BYU, unfortunately, but BYU has a great open licensed uh, digital literacy tutorial that you can flip through that is on their website. It's one of those things that if you kind of Google for it, and I'll be sure to share the link for the podcast, but that's one of the tutorials that I like to give to students to think about what do they consider to be social media? Because it's interesting if I were to ask a random student passing me in the hallway, what's a social media platform? You might hear the typical Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Some of my students don't think about Snapchat being social media, which was really kind of interesting to me at the time. Or, uh, oh my gosh, what was that app? Yik, Yik Yak? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, right. I've heard of Another that Another form of social media. So asking students through or using these kinds of tutorials and tools and asking them what do they think of as social media, it's interesting to see that shift. But with this, so how do we teach it? How do we think about it? It's really funny when you think about generational shifts. When I ask a student to tell me about Facebook, well, that's the platform that my mom and my grandma use. Right, yeah. If I ask a student to tell me about Twitter, that's an interesting question because depending on where I am in the United States or in the world, I'm going to get different answers. The more rural I am, the less concern or question or, yeah, it's a thing, but it doesn't affect me. True story because I have required students to use Twitter for my classes in the past. I asked my students to engage in Twitter chats, just two over the course of a 16 week semester. Just tell me which ones that you engaged in and your username so that I can verify that you actually did respond to some of the questions and you didn't just lurk in a chat. And I had a student tell me on the course evaluation that it was unfair of me to require such a new and emerging technology. Keep in mind that I got this comment in 2017. Yeah. Twitter's been around for a while. Almost, a, it, Twitter's like 10 years old now. It was. And I actually looked at that comment and thought, wow, let me see when I created my account. 2006, by the way. About three months after Twitter opened as a platform. So it was interesting. So I went through and looked at my roster of students because, of course, I couldn't tell who it was. And that semester, I actually had an older group of graduate students. My youngest would have been 35 around that ballpark. So as far as these older graduate students were concerned, Twitter was brand new. Mm -hmm. But if I were to ask an undergraduate, especially in Dallas or Houston or Boston or Los Angeles or Seattle, Twitter has a more real meaning in their life and is certainly new. It's something that they've been reading about and learning about for years. You know, it's interesting because I've often um, said that I actually prefer teaching Twitter to students without familiarity with it because students with familiarity often have like really specific ways they use it and like it and actually getting them to transition into different types of uses for a class is a struggle. Whereas if you teach someone Twitter and you're like, hey, we're going to use it for this way in this class to connect with each other, to have a back channel to our course, to learn about, talk about online issues. They're like, cool, that's the assignment. And they do it. (laughs) And off they go. But with teaching it, it's So with Teaching a Digital Footprint, I mentioned earlier Brand Yourself. It's a website that you can pay for. I don't necessarily recommend that you pay or not pay. I can tell you that I've never paid for Brand Yourself. I take advantage of the free tools that they have. And of those tools, it will do things like let me connect all of my different accounts 
and it will scan my account constantly looking at my content and analyzing my content. It will tell me things like when I use informal language versus formal language. It will tell me when I use curse words, when I'm cussing or saying something inappropriate, which those filters aren't quite perfect because sometimes you might be having a legitimate conversation about a topic and it'll flag a particular word or phrase. It will look at my interactions and kind of give me a report card of what's going on with my social media and how active am I posting. So kind of blending together some of the other tools that we've seen and not necessarily giving me an impact score, which is what most people would consider their digital footprint. What kind of influencer am I? I swear if I log into Instagram one more time and see their ad for becoming an Instagram influencer, I might throw my phone at the wall. Oh my, I just watched the Fire Festival documentary that oh, ever that everyone's talking about. If you haven't seen it, you should watch mm-hmm. it. And yeah, it, it actually taught part of the show actually brings up the ethics of being a social media influencer, right? Because people are paid money to influence people to do stuff. Well, what happens when you influence them to do something disastrous, like go to a fire festival? And if you don't know why that's disastrous, it's on Netflix. The Netflix one, not the one on the other platform. (laughs) The platform. (laughs) There's two of them. Is there? So yeah, Hulu and Netflix both released them and there was like a a competition to who would release theirs first. I did not know that. So I have all these different social media accounts. How do I want to, like, what is it? Like we're talking about managing it or or managing your digital footprint. What do I want to manage it to? The main piece of advice that I talk about with my students is not even necessarily managing it, but even taking control. So searching for yourself to see what pictures are out there and if you have the ability to take them down, if they're perhaps pictures you don't want out there. And this comes into play with things that we do in our youth or if you think about some of our recent political conversations and what has happened in our past as individuals. Maybe you really don't want that senior graduation party picture on the website with you doing a keg stand. Not the best part of your footprint to put forward. But even with your content, Because the fact of the matter remains, when you apply for jobs, when you apply for graduate school, when you apply for internships, they're going to Google you. They're going to search for your name and they're going to see what comes up. And you don't want them finding that Reddit forum post that you put your full name on and told the story of how you stole gum from the grocery store around the corner when you were 13. How'd you find out about that? That's I didn't use my real name on that. Google food. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. I actually uh, made the decision a while ago. I, I, I post on this one message board. That's like kind of, it's kind of a community message board and, and um, you know, it's always a challenge of how do you have good conversations on message boards and it's not always possible. You know, sometimes you make a point and, right. and people misinterpret it or they're going to look through their own lens and there's just no forward place in discussion. But I, I'd made the choice a couple of years ago to like, just use my real name and hold myself accountable, right. For the things I post mm-hmm. and that I'm, I'm, these are things that I, I'm willing to stand by. And and I don't always feel perfect about it. Like I always am like, man, do I want that out there? By using my own name, it kind of made me think about I'm a real person online, not, you know, don't don't do don't post out of anger, don't post to make people mad. And I always remember an event for this this community message board. They had like an event in person, and I met this person in real life that really frustrated me online. And he was the nicest person. 
And that reminded me about how our online postings can really be so different from who we are. And I try to always think of him now. Like I always think they're probably like the nicest person and they're just mean online or they just communicate in a way that I don't like online. And so that's that's been one of my guides. But do do your students, when they go online, are they able to figure out ideas about like what to take down from their digital footprints? Do they have much success in, in, in navigating those types of activities? It's a mixed bag. I would say they do. But in some cases, they'll find that there's a picture buried on some website that got pulled from another website. And now it's just embedded forever in the archives of the Internet. And they have nobody they can contact to get rid of it. Or a great example there, not that this has ever happened to one of my students. Once upon a time, uh, you could go to the websites to see mugshots and who's been arrested lately. Oh, man. And in some communities, they would actually publish it as like a little magazine that you could pick up at a newsstand for free. But those websites have been challenged and now can no longer make mugshots publicly available because they were holding people hostage, basically. You'd have to pay them money to take your mugshot down. You know, I just read in Sophia Noble just has a book called Algorithms of Oppression. And she even talked about particularly how um, uh, black men were more likely, their mugshots were more likely to show up than other groups or and how damaging that can be when searching for jobs, even in cases where your mugshot's showing up for you know something you weren't convicted of or that was minor and it can possibly uh, deter you know, um, future ambitions. And so I think that's really important. We have those conversations about even the ways we, as searchers, you try to navigate and learn about information online. So one of the things that I, you, you mentioned the fact that, um, like using your real name and taking down things that are unflattering is part of managing your social digital footprint is part of it creating an image or, and if that's the, if like the image of what perfection and where's the authenticity? That is a great question, especially as you consider that Card the Kardashians are no longer the queens of Instagram. The leading account with the most followers on Instagram is actually an AI creation. She's not a real person. Was that the egg? Uh, no, not the egg. Uh, it's a, a female character that's been created by a company, and she has paid sponsors, and she has millions of followers, but she's not a real person. And But she puts forth this image of daily life. And that's something that I think is important, especially as we think about, speaking of Netflix, uh, Black Mirror and the episode Nosedive and your social score. And we look at what's happening with social scoring in China and the implications of how all of this comes together. When I work in even researching social media, because that is one of my interests, there's three general personas, although this is evolving as the technology evolves. There's the self that I want to be, and it's my professional image. There's the personal self that I want to be. There's a hybrid approach. The authenticity, I think, is huge, though. And this is a conversation that I've had with Jennifer Madrill at Designers for Learning and this notion of design in the open and being genuine with our social media posts. So sharing my professional life, but being genuine about my challenges and when I fail so that it's not always this picture of perfection. You know, I've, I've seen that in the research over and over that one of the downsides to social media is people see these comparisons and I don't know what it is. I'd never understood that myself because I'd ne I always, I'd never see myself as comparing myself to other people. Even when I see their lives, I'm like, that's cool for them. I don't like, I've never, I've never got right. it, but like, I know a lot of people feel that pressure when they see other people's lives. Um, now, hold on. Can we go back to one thing you said? So in China, they're actually the Black Mirror episode is happening. It's 
season season three episode one if you haven't seen black mirror ever it's kind of a dystopian tech show and uh without giving too much away you find it out right away your your social basically your social media interactions add up to scores which are tied to your personality and like your value is kind of determined by that in society there was an episode of Community where they did that, too, with Meow Meow Beans. <laughs> and there's an episode of The Orville, Seth MacFarlane's new live-action Star Trek satire, where they land on a planet, and it's a similar situation. And you have to go on a tour when your score goes below a certain level. So in China, it's not so much a straight-up, I'm going to score you based off of my social interactions, but they are taking various data points to assign a new social credibility score. So it's things like... How many accounts do you have? You filed for bankruptcy. Are you behind on your bills? And are you a bad person at work? And all of that contributes to a number. And it might be that in order for you to buy a train ticket to another province, you're going to be charged a different rate because of that number, that score. What? This is crazy. It really is crazy. So when I saw Nosedive, I saw this in the news. And I actually have a graduate student who's from southern China. And he and I were recently talking about this. And I was asking for his take on it. And he feels that the, especially in the West, the media has blown it out of proportion compared to what's happening in China. So I, I would love to hear from some of my other students and friends and colleagues who are still in country and experiencing this as it rolls out. What is it like? So this has been really interesting to think. And I, I think one thing I'm taking away from this discussion is that it's complex, right? I mean, figuring out the, your digital footprint has so much to do with your identity, your intentions, your audience uh, and and the the different platforms and, that we're using online. What advice do you have for educators who are interested in helping students from you know um, maybe even elementary or middle school up through college in in figuring out how to manage their digital footprint in ways that make sense? My first advice is to check your own footprint and see what's out there about you, so that you can be better informed about where you stand in the sea of faces and. It may change how you view social media and even how you view yourself, but it will arm you with experience to work with your students. When you create accounts, some other things, if you want to take control, if you're creating or renaming accounts and you're trying to create a particular image, not necessarily one of perfection, but at least one of professional ideology. Using the same username across platforms makes it easy to distinguish you, especially if you have a common name. I recently had this conversation with a graduate from NC State. He's a postdoc now at North Carolina Wilmington. And he has a very common name, Rob Moore. So we were talking about how to brand his professional website, what his social media usernames should all be so that he could have a unified front. And that's a piece of advice that I think that works. My last piece of advice, and it has nothing to do with necessarily tracking yourself, but just kind of what Dan was talking about with that individual that he got to meet and thinking about who's on the other side of that screen. I did go through a situation where I called out my alma mater for some sexism at a university-sanctioned event, and I did this on Twitter, and I was one of many who did it, but then I proceeded to get on a plane overseas that had no internet access, and in that, I think, 10 hours that ensued, the other posts all came down, and mine was the last one standing, and I got called some very interesting things by people I've never met on platforms other than Twitter, like they sought me out on Facebook. Don't engage with the trolls. It's just okay. better to walk away from the bully on the schoolyard. Well, it's interesting too, because then there's also the 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 idea of like engaging in civic conversation yes. and trying to point out 
um, you know, the, some of the problems, but that, that story reminds me so much of Justine Sacco's story. If you guys don't know about Justine Sacco, who sent out a tweet that very questionable, something she shouldn't have, she thought it was funny and it kind of destroyed her life, um, a little bit because, um, her company fired her by the time she landed, people were all following it. And so just the retribution was very quick for what may have been a mistake at the same time. You know, I've also said sometimes social media kind of points out who you are. Right. And so there, there's there's like the other side of it where we like find out that someone's not a good person and not qualified for a job. And so I think that's what we should understand, right? It's social media is kind of who we are um, in a lot of ways, but it's also problematic sometimes. It's a complex issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. as, Dan, as Dana Boyd says, it's complicated. Yes, absolutely. I'm reading that book right now for my with my students in my social media class. What is so. the book awesome. called? It's complicated oh. by Dana Boyd. It's about youth uses of social media. Interesting. So. Well, this has been really helpful discussion, Tanya, and I think that um, it'll give us some good ideas for um, for really thinking about how we can talk with students and manage our digital footprints. So, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Well, keeping with my own advice, if you search for T A Dusay D O U S A Y, you will find my social media footprint. You'll find my profiles, my website, learninginterest.com. I do make some of my publications available, my preprint versions, including some of my social media work. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll make sure to have all, all uh, some of your links on, the, um, on our show notes. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So at the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun, creative in education, or you just want to chat and help us build our digital footprint, Hit us up at Visions of Ed on Twitter. We're also on Facebook and somewhere else where I don't remember. I have no idea, but I signed us up for something. I know bad digital footprint, but it's there. And of course, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Visions of Ed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere you want us to be. And at the Visions of Education podcast, we are trying to increase the positivity of our digital footprint. So leave us a five-star review, and we'll also read that on the air. Thus, increasing your audio footprint. I don't, that's, exactly. yes. And you'll get a space on my refrigerator, which is in the other room right now. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off. <laughs>